I'm here with Felice Amu and Tylee Wu. How are you guys today? Good, how are you? I'm good, I'm doing just fine. So thanks for joining us. Felice is a character designer. Tylee is an animator. They also collaborate on animation workshops and I want to talk with them today about their career and about their teaching. So let's just start off with a basic introduction. We'll start with uh, Felice. Give me some background just on where you went to school and how you got into character design and film and, and so on and so forth. Who are you? Let us know where it all began. <laughs> <laughs> so I was born in Switzerland in a small town and had like artistic um, abilities, I thought. But it was sort of tough to find a school for me in Switzerland. So I went to Brussels and studied illustration there. Like Switzerland is more into graphic design or photography, but I couldn't find a school there where I could do, you know, life drawing and study watercolor or whatever. And Brussels was actually a pretty cool town to be a student. They have a lot of after classes, like etching classes and stuff like that. So it was a great place to um, try a lot of different medium. At the end of that school, I was already working on a project in Switzerland that was a stop motion project. And that's how I discovered that I could design characters for animation films. Oh, I see. Did you always think that you would be involved with film and character design? Or was your background more just generally focused on art and illustration? And then you, through an opportunity, were given the chance to explore that and, and found that that was something that really worked yeah, well for it, you? It was like an, an accident or like a lucky coincidence, but like two twin brothers from my hometown who had been like doing a lot of stop motion short films and they would do it all by themselves. They had like a new project that required more people involved. And so they had like a little day where they wanted to meet a lot of creative people either to like work on it as sculptors or designers. And I loved their short films. You know, as a kid, I, I, I knew those two guys. They were like sort of personalities in my hometown and so I wanted to be part of it and that's when I sort of discovered what character design is about because they had a script with like a little dog who becomes friends with a fly and they were like just draw the dog or the fly and I took like their simple design of a fly that was kind of like a little ball with two bulging eyes and made it into like a little aviator lady and that blew up their mind. They were like, oh, we never saw it that way. And that sort of also opened the script in the sense that this fly now had much more personality. So they could imagine her character and like it added to the whole story. And they decided to hire me. And the oh, funny okay. thing is like the other guy who was also sort of auditioning that day was Claude Barra, who directed My Life of Zucchini. It's like a little family of animation that developed with this yes, project. Yeah. So <laughs> I was really lucky because if I had not been there that day, I don't really think that I would have thought I had like a special talent for character design or, you know, I would probably have stayed in illustration, but I didn't know that there was a job where you can actually work on films and also in a team, which is something I really enjoy. What was the name of the film that you worked on? Max and Co. Tylee, how about you? Where did you study originally? And um, how did you end up getting involved with animation? So I started in Taiwan, Taipei, Taiwan. In college, I studied education and art education. 
But growing up in Taiwan, because the geography, it's very close to Japan. So the whole culture on the comic and animated film are super well informed in Taiwan. And mm -hmm. growing up watching Miyazaki movies, I was just blown away. Like, wow, like people can do this. And can tell a story with such a beautiful films. So in college, I always wanted to do um, animation. So on the side of studying education, I took classes um, from fine art, like printmaking and claymation, animation, photography, just trying to immerse myself into what's a possibility to make animation. And when I was in college, that was still quite early stage on the animation industry in Taiwan. So that's why I decided to apply school to go abroad and study more in animation. So did you actually spend any time teaching once you got out of school? And did that sort of figure into your, your career at all at that particular point? I was actually a defeated um, teacher. For elementary, for elementary school because um, I went to a teacher's college. So with the program, we have to do um, kind of internship, but you are teaching in a real environment. And mm -hmm. two teachers are partnering up to teach uh, a, class, a classroom of students from all kinds of different subjects. But I find out quickly that I'm not really into teaching all the subjects, but only the subjects I'm into. So quickly on day three, I decided I will finish this, but this is not what I would like to pursue in my future. Three days you spent doing it and that was it? You were like, no, no more? Yeah, it was a three-month training program. Uh -huh. So I finished the three months, but on the day three, okay. I went to my professor and told him, honestly, that, yeah, <laughs> this is not for me, but I will finish this. And I really enjoy my partner teaching together. Uh -huh. Yeah, she is just a natural-born teacher. I guess it's good to figure that out as quickly as possible, too. Yep. Um, so how long after that experience then did it take you to decide? And you came to New York directly after that, and you enrolled in graduate school at the School of Visual Arts? That's correct. So is that like a, an immediate thing you went? you're like this is not for me and then you immediately change gears and and knew kind of what the right road was when i was still in college i was thinking to either trying animation school in taiwan or trying out abroad because the courses are more developed abroad versus the taiwan is still very beginning so i took some additional classes outside of school and learned some software such as um, Photoshop, Illustrator, Flash, and a little bit Maya. So that kind of introduced me of more knowledge on what's possible to do and how to prepare my portfolio for applying for school. Mm -hmm. So about a year after college, that's the year that I prepared for portfolio and applying for schools. What was your experience like when you came to SVA? You studied grad school, what department were you in now? I went to School of Visual Art for computer there are first of all there there are a few schools in US that I really want to get in, such as KOR and many, many other schools in New York. And out of surprise, School of Visual Art took me. <laughs> and my exploring like so much so much going on just yeah. with the environment, the people, the culture and the languages. When you guys are sort of thinking about you know, on one hand, Felicity, you're coming from a place of really like everything's coming out of drawing and painting. And Tyler, your style seems to change 
although I would say it's really, really consistent. When I look at your site, it always feels like you've made it. The approach seems to change with the project. You know, and for, for either one of you, what when you're working on a different project or moving from project to project, how do you decide on style through either a year end tightly on materials when you're when you are working? You do a lot of advertising and work with clients on that end. How are you conceptualizing how style plays a role and how material plays a role when you get a script for something like how does that factor in to the final product? When I receive a project proposal, usually they come with an idea or there's a certain look they are thinking about or it could be a few options. And yeah. if they have a few options, then our goal is to build something that it's telling their brand story, but also achievable in the timeline that we have. So the material often will be decided among the schedule and the brand identity. Right. Is it something, do they present you a style that you've already done? Or do you look at it and say, like, this is the approach I have in mind, or these are the solutions I've used in the past that I think would be interesting for this potential one? Or do you come up with something completely you haven't tried before and you think that this would be a cool solution? It happens both ways, too. I'm still learning and growing as um, I work, so a lot of times... The materials are the things that I haven't even tried out yet, but we could research and do some quick tests to see how it works. And then that's something that you present to them, like this is mm -hmm. the direction I'm interested in going. Yeah. That's cool. Felicia, you work with different projects that have different looks and movies and advertisements and, and products get you know, when you give a design to somebody, then that's translated again into from 2D to 3D or into an animation. In other words, there's another set of hands that sort of touch that after you let it go. Mm -hmm. Are you always working from a consistent style? Are you adapting your style to fit the look of, say, the production team that you're working with or the vision of a particular director? What's mm -hmm. that process like? It really depends because let's say it's a commercial project. It means like the whole turnaround is much faster. And I feel like it's about producing something that the client will like. And then I'm not really asked to follow the process. You know, it's like, okay, that moves on to the in-house team. And then they uh, make it into like either a 3D rendering or, you know, a stop motion puppet. And then I get to discover it like a couple of months later, I'm like, Ooh, oh, <laughs> that doesn't really look like what we need on. And that's, you know, you have to learn to let go. And usually there's also a part in the process itself where you do a first draft and you sort of like it, but then the clients think that maybe it's too edgy or like, can you change this and that and make the ice bigger? And so you're also learning to distance yourself a little bit because it can be frustrating because you sort of trust your first instinct or your first draft and you have to make it worse. <laughs> not that they're not right, you know, on some of level, course. of course, but quite oftentimes it's just sort of like a bummer. But I'm also super lucky because on projects like Fantastic Mr. Fox or I Love Dogs, like the whole team who makes it into puppets, they're like so good at what they do to see all the details that I draw turn into like an actual fabric or like, you know, an elaborate wig that they're making. It's actually Actually amazing and I'm often really uh, overwhelmed by like all the work that goes into it and on some projects like on Mr. Fox I actually got to follow the process with like 
the art director, he would keep me involved. And the people who made the first sculpts would send a picture and then I could like sort of do some rough photoshopping on them to be like, no, the hair has to be more rough and like the suit has to be straight and I would like draw on it or like, you know, do a little rendering of what it should look like. So that was really cool. There's not often time to do that because then, you know, it's an extra voice at the table. And uh... And a project like that, and that had a a lot of details in it. I mean, watching it, just the amount of details in each individual character was really pleasant experience to watch Mm -hmm. just from kind of getting lost in all of it. And also you're you're referencing stuff from um, like another culture and another history. What's the process like it when you're, are you doing a lot of research yourself for that? And also when you're sort of pulling from other film history and, and other cultures, there is sort of like a line of creating either an homage or you're appropriating what was that process like? What were, what were those discussions like to kind of, that film really got it right, but what's the kind of work that goes into in, into that? So uh, for Fantastic Mr. Fox, I went undercover with a family of foxes for a while and like... Immersion, <laughs> that's the key. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Ate with Good. them, slept, slept with them. Yeah, I feel like um, for I Love Dogs, we had like a big trove of Japanese films that we watched because I feel like any movie that Wes Anderson makes is all is an homage and like pretty geeky his approach is like oh I love this stuff and I want to emulate it so we watched a lot of Kurosawa films and a lot of the characters of the film are just like based on real actors from Kurosawa movies you know so that was like an immersion in that culture and then I feel like these movies are for the cinephiles you know for people who love to watch movies so they're like oh I recognize that face so it's like full of little backdoors and like references at some point, I also started to be sort of stuck because I was looking for specific references. I had to design the team who catches the dog on the island, and Wes wanted them to look sort of like cops from Japan. I was trying to Google that, but I couldn't. And then my sister was trying to help me because she's learning Japanese. But it's hard to Google Japanese stuff in Japanese because you spell it out, but then it offers you different ideograms for the same word I would click on any of them and found myself googling bunions and like horrible stuff (laughs) but then they hired a graphic designer Erika Dorn who's half Japanese I think she has Japanese heritage and so she was able to find me like a lot of you know good references and she I think she did all the graphic design uh, that's in Japanese letterings and stuff and then of course I, I also asked myself the question you know like is this appropriation and I feel like we'll live in an age where it's like that question is asked a lot and I feel like it's a good thing like I don't understand movies that hire like a Caucasian comedian to play a person that is Asian in the script you know stuff like that that, that's weird and it should change but then I was also thinking about like movies I grew up with with like the Studio Ghibli movies that are set in like some kind of fantasy Switzerland or it looks like Germany and I was lucky because last year I went to Switzerland and they had like a special exhibit around Heidi that showed from the 70s and a few members of the original team from Studio Ghibli came to Switzerland and so their character Heidi was like on the facade of the museum in Switzerland like they did a lot of research they came in the 70s and took trips in the Alps so in the show you could see those uh, Japanese guys like tourists uh, in the Alps (laughs) and they took a lot of pictures and drawings and I wouldn't say that they appropriated Switzerland like they were really 
observing and I, I see that show I loved it and it looks like Switzerland and I'm so happy that they took some liberties with it and like geeked on it and were like really good at like capturing the Alps and the flowers and the you know all the fauna and flora of Switzerland so I think it's definitely okay for a director to fantasize on a culture and want his movie to be set in another culture and we shouldn't censor that to the point of like there's a good way and, and a not so good way of doing that you know to the, to the point of that film watching it and having seen a lot of Japanese films as well it, it felt like a love letter in a way to the appreciations of the director rather than something that just liberally borrowed for a set dressing and, yeah. uh, and I think those are important distinction Tyler you work with primarily add to this but from my understanding of your work you as an animator really spend a lot of your time working with corporate clients and doing advertising and I wonder if first of all you can say that that's not true and that you have a lot of other projects <laughs> I haven't seen and I'll balance that by saying like I know that's part of it but I also know you have a really significant part of your career doing personal work and doing short films and other things that you, you put online even like short one minute clips that have like a really cool and clever idea the one thing I want to talk about first of all is, is just being an animator who does the styles that you work in this very like handmade stop motion that has an old-fashioned sort of look to it if that's your choice of material and medium is it beneficial to work in a field of advertising are there other places that you could be working what are the opportunities available to you and how did you end up doing i guess primarily work for clients like you have so first of all mixed medium i really enjoy using different type of mediums I feel it's kind of like hapa in Asian cuisines, mm. which you put everything you love and then cook it in a soup base. <laughs> and I feel that's what I enjoy most. It's to try out all the different things that I really like. For example, like we do felt, felting and then use paper and use clay and then foam and all kind of different material to present that idea. I was super lucky to get into doing more hands-on stop motion projects when I started doing internship um, graduate from school. I'm just curious, where was the internship you were at? It was at a studio called Suspect TV. It's on 22nd Street in Manhattan, but they are not there anymore. But at the time, they were doing a lot of music video with a director over there called uh -huh. Ken Ming Liu. And mm -hmm. Ken Ming now has his own studio in Taiwan, Taipei, called Beetle, and where they're still doing a lot of cool music videos. But because of him, I get to play with many different materials, including Happy Paradise, which is a music video made with a lot of um, paper models. We're kind of using a combination of 2D animation in After Effects and stop motion. And then I'll come back to, you mentioned that is this common to be using in the advertising? Yeah, what the opportunities are available to somebody with your skill set. Honestly, I'm still exploring. <laughs> I would like to explore more possibilities, especially in a show film or like TV series and even a longer film features. So far, like you say, I'm, uh, the majority of the work that I've been doing are mostly uh, advertisements and for social campaigns as far as for like YouTube shows, but not so much in a longer form. So I'm also curious to see how I can bring this to a different kind of storytelling. 
Yeah. Yeah. I also and feel I... like it's connected. Sorry, Tylee. I feel like it's connected to being in New York too, where mm. um, there's not no. a lot of actual films being made here, but there's quite yeah. a lot of little studios that do advertising. You know. That's mm. a fair point. I, yeah. A lot of animators I know, and even illustrators as well. It seems like if you're in New York, you're on one hand you're either doing like advertising or publishing yeah. or something, whereas the same set of skills in, in Los Angeles, you can you're be really attached. Series or yeah, mm -hmm. yeah it's really mm -hmm. tied to the film industry because that's just geographically the divide between those two cities. Mm -hmm. um, But maybe now the rents are going down and we can open new big studios to make. Hopefully, like, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> in New York. Did you? How did you get into that particular work out of school? Was it through your internship that that started leading you to to those kind of clients and projects? Is that how you started sort of getting connected with art directors and and those production studios? You mean for stop motion, especially? I mean, just for the advertising work and the kind of clients. How, how did you? Yeah, bringing your skill set to to that specific client base. Um, was it initially through like the internship that you had, and obviously just being in the city? Um, but what yeah. led you in in that particular direction? I feel the internship helped me a lot preparing for the portfolios. At least you have something promising to show besides school yeah. works. And after that, um, I started to take on different design projects, not necessarily to be handmade or like stop motion related. Some are starting from 2D drawings, 2D design, and then slowly freelancing different projects and work with different like studio design studios. And then eventually leads to the advertising company that I've been working with in the past few years, mm -hmm. Chalex. Yeah. Are you still working with them? Right now, it will be on a freelance basis. I was there from 2012 to 16. Felicia, about your when you're creating your characters and really like your whole storytelling process comes across through creating a character that as soon as somebody sees them without any context, they have to have a certain understanding, I would imagine, about that, about who they are. You know, there's almost like on site, there's a reaction that you're going for with mm -hmm. the shape of the character, with their facial expression. And of course, they come to life through film and animation and stuff. But on your end of, of creating that, you're doing a whole lot of sort of like almost front loading with the storytelling just in what, what that character has to say on how you design them. What kind of considerations do you look for in how you bring a character to life and, and make them kind of pop? On the page. Mm -hmm. I don't think that I have a process that I go through when I'm actually getting down to designing a character. I think my brain is wired to scrutinize people. So like what I love to do here in New York is just ride the subway and stare at people. And I think I've always had that. Like when I was a child, my parents probably missed that point where your mom has to tell you not to stare at the lady. So, um, <laughs> or I just didn't do it. I'm just like really obsessed with people are so interesting. And when you see like what they wear and the way they walk and like their little mannerisms, I, I'm just really into people. So if a director is like pitching a character to me, then I'll have those ideas sort of developing in my head. And then hopefully once I'm in front of my white folder that I'm starting, these ideas will come to form. 
and some of them will just exist better than others where like oh this is starting as a good posture and like oh and then this costume falls great with that shape and then it's just like a sort of process where I'm trying stuff out I love that I can just send different versions to the director because I don't like choosing and I don't like picking one and so I find that I have found a perfect job because I don't have to decide I just send several versions and then director will feel something for one of them and then we can refine it together you know but it's like a really fun process for me to start with some loose sketches and see something sometimes it's like an accident even where it's like oh this is like a weird nose here or like you almost see something that doesn't really exist and then it's just your job to like refine it to the point that somebody else can appreciate it and say like oh okay that's the right character i'm also very intrigued by faces and you know in chinese culture they can read your character on your face and i find that both very offensive as an idea you know like because you have like <laughs> long ears and like a well defined spectrum between your nose and your lips then you're going to be wise like why is that a thing but i feel like we're all like that we look at somebody and we're like attracted or repulsed or we feel trust for that person like why is that it's really interesting no that's true but there's both truth in that and there's something that there's sometimes when you see somebody uh, you can sort of tell a lot about them just through not knowing them but exactly that sort of interpreting and building your own story yeah and and you have this sort of character in mind like this is what person is going to be like and then suddenly if they either will be like that or if they're or not surprise you yeah and that contradiction is also super fascinating mm -hmm. and and something that i think also translates to to storytelling you know in a comic or on film or whatever which is either how somebody looks plays into your expectations or works against yeah. them or the anti-hero or the, the exactly yeah. so getting close to the end i just wanted to hit on a couple more things first from each of you just what are some of the more favorite projects that you have worked on on your own commercially or whatever if people are looking you up and this is a project that i was proud of or one of the best examples what would what would those be for me it's definitely the wes anderson films and um i wish he could make more of them but they're they're mm -hmm. taking so long <laughs> 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 and I wish there would be more filmmakers that I like who would make the transition to making stop motion films. Some projects are actually happening, so I hope to be part of them. But that's definitely like my favorite type of work. And then I feel like I'm always glad when somebody contacts me and is like, oh, we love this on your website because it's awesome. And then it sort of narrows it down and you know sort of what they want. But yeah, I would say like if it's a stop motion film, film i'm definitely more excited yeah. when you're not working on a project like that you are doing smaller stuff as well correct like uh, you've also done corporate work and ad campaigns and, yeah a lot of commercial some, work yeah. and um some projects that actually never became a film mm -hmm. you know like there's quite a small percentage of projects that actually make it into a final feature film so i've worked on some pre-production stuff for films that will never exist you know there are a few projects that I help out on HLX studio. For example, there's one on um, Horitos back in 2012 and 2013. 
when they first want to introduce the drink, the soda drink to the US. It's a Mexican brand. So they had this very cool reference video of their characters, which are like skeleton characters, like Cinco de Mayo, the day of the death, yeah. and the going on a parade. Everything was built in um, diorama miniature sets on their oh, end. Wow. But that was um, a video, almost like you walk in a museum. So I feel the fun part for that project is really to brainstorm like how to tell their story and introduce to a different market and make it enjoyable and kind of echo to the audience. So we make it into four to five different animations and then get to build the set and design the set. How long does it take to build a set for something like that? It depends on uh, which set, but um, we have a team from just me, one to four people on the art department team. The time we have for each set is about two, two to three weeks. Great. And so let's talk a little bit about the workshop and, and teaching. You both have been working on this really interesting class. One is a character designer, the other really works in, in stop motion, and you guys are coming together and sort of like bringing those two ideas into a class. Can you just talk a, a little bit about what you do and what the class is like? Yeah, I can just start by saying that basically we met at the Pictoplasma Festival. That's like a big thing in Berlin, but they have like a one day of conferences here in New York. And um, Tali was speaking just before me, and I loved her presentation. <laughs> Didn't dare to talk to her because I was so starstruck. <laughs> but we have a friend in common, Jordan Brunner, who is an amazing illustrator and animator. And so she introduced us, and then we started hanging out. And it just happened that Tylee liked my stuff too. No, I love started, it. Yeah, <laughs> so we're like is, mutually is, uh, yeah. Star Trek. And then we started doing some little sessions of crafts and uh, enjoyed that a lot. And I think we were just like fouting stuff one day and we're looking for stuff that we could do together also mm -hmm. to make some money and like, you know, share projects. And she said that she knew a person at SVA who was looking for like class ideas. So we decided to pitch the idea of a workshop where we combine forces and so the first part of the workshop where you come up with an idea for your character and then you build your character and you start animating it. And so we pitched it just before COVID happened and we had to switch gears pretty fast and actually make it an online class. And we decided to make it something really lo-fi so people can do it from their home with whatever they have at hand in terms of materials and that they can shoot with their phone, basically. So it's almost like character designs that you can make with, is it material specific or is it is it really just showing people um, how to kind of take anything, even from like a, a crafty sort of point of view and turn that into a character? It, it is using whatever you have at hand, but Felicity was sharing a lot of really cool character design tips from color theory to shapes mm. and utilizing different textures to bring your character to life. And I really enjoy and I learned a lot from her class too, especially the part that she brought. How do you give your own character a story and a brief and design from real actor or actress mm -hmm. and to make a character out of it? It doesn't have to be like exactly look the same, but had the same spirit that like you see the action of the character and you feel like, ah, oh, that's the that's a guy or that's a yeah. girl. That reminds me of uh, the, the early films of the animator Jan Svenkmeier. Yeah. Bringing 
whatever the object was, giving it a characteristic and how it moves and, and sort of anything becomes a character in one of his films. This workshop is more specifically like a paper cut yeah, okay. puppet workshop. We taught it once and like because everybody was on lockdown, some people only have like one type of paper mm-hmm. and like started using like very creative things they had around. So they were all looking pretty different, although we like shared the common references of sort of like a more classical paper puppet yeah we thought it would be like an easy thing to achieve and also like the fact of building joints for your puppets and stuff it makes it into like a really cool object i had never done it myself and because i was basically learning as we would teach the workshop i built my own puppet and now it's like an object that i really like you know it's like a little Mm -hmm. museum piece that you can have around and it's ready to be animated anytime you know it's like waiting for more adventures Any more details that you want to share uh, about the class? Well, we're going to teach it one more time. So that's going to be cool to like reinvent it. Uh, when we first taught it, the students had a week between each class. Mm-hmm. So during the first class, we would do an introduction. And then they had like the whole week to think about their character. And then they had like a whole week to build the joints for the characters. And then they had a whole week to animate it. And we would give them feedback, you know. But now it's going to be way more like it's on a faster timeline. We'll see what they can come up with within two days, you know, like doing it full time. So less time to idle. Well, I think that pretty much wraps up everything I want to talk about with you guys. If there's anything else last minute that you don't feel like we got to that you want to you wanna add? No, I feel like you squeezed it out of us. Yeah. <laughs> nice conversation. Thank you guys so much. Thanks so much for joining, and uh, thanks for taking the time. Sure thing. Yeah.